0: Hello. <laughs> Hello. Oh my god, my phone's on. Whoops. Um, so, welcome to Pickles and Peaches, the podcast. My name is Bee Jamison, And I'm Courtney Pritter And we are highly professional, seeing as this is our third take at doing an intro. Oh
1: my lord. This has just not been going well for us the
0: past but, month. So, we were supposed to record last week mm-hmm. and then the week before that. I think the week before that. It's been three weeks since we've done an episode. Yes.
1: So I lost my voice. You started up uni. Mm-hmm. Phoenix was on school holidays, and I had no time to it's, myself.
0: Everything just kind of hit the fan at once. So, mm-hmm. but we're back, and we are fortnightly now.
1: Yes, correct. It's just easier with me working. <laughs> I'm down on paper part time, but it's full time <laughs> considering all the driving that I do to and from mm-hmm. an hour away. Yeah, and uh, and having phoenix so I
0: yeah it's a lot
1: it's okay we'll
0: get through it let's just i you know i started uni again this week and i'm completely inundated with work already i have books that i have to read i have books that i don't want to read i've got a class that only has to do like yeah have to do four of three of the four assignments to pass and it's got the biggest reading list so I'm like, why would I read that that book yeah. when I would read the books for the classes that I actually need to do all the assignments It makes for? no sense. It's so stupid. It's some of those first year topics that they're like, hi, welcome to uni. I'm going to hold your hand the entire time. Ah, yeah. There's a I lot need of, that. Like, there's a lot of old <laughs> guys in, in life. my class. There's <laughs> a lot of older men in my class. Hmm. They don't take notes in lectures. I'm like, just bring a notebook. Hmm. They think they But anyway, on the subject of Mm -hmm. education, you might have seen from the title of this episode, today we're talking about girls' education. Yes. So, why girls, Corny? Why girls, be? Well... (laughs) This this is is your topic. Yes, this (laughs) is my topic. This podcast is about girls and women, so that's number one. And number two is because... So education is on the UN list of international human rights. So free education, access yes. to free education. That just because we pay for school here mm-hmm. is technically it's accessible because it's like public schools like 500 bucks a year. Yeah. and a subsidized if you don't have money. So it's like that technically is free education. Mm-hmm. But the international human right is access to free education. However, a lot of people are denied that access. Um, And the main group of people who are denied that access are girls. Right. And that comes from like multiple different reasons, um, including, uh, so this is due to multiple reasons that include but are not limited to poverty, religious or cultural reasons, holding the responsibility of caring for relatives uh, and child marriage. So girls are still seen as property or a commodity to be traded in many um, cultures. So they simply don't get the opportunity to be educated due to lack of money, resources, and being, like, married off. I can't believe that in the US that it
1: is legal for men to marry girls as long as they are of the age of consent for sex. Yeah. Yeah. 16 you you can be 16 to get legally married as long as you have
0: a guardianship sign in some states it's 12 they're like a couple of them are only just changing it now from 12 that is sickening mm-hmm. sickening yep. it's one of those laws that like it hasn't come up as much until recently and then they're like oh actually you can legally marry someone like you can there was i think it was cuz the guy who his daughter was raped mm-hmm. by this older guy and these like devoutly religious dad took her and the guy that raped um, raped her mm-hmm. into another state in which he could marry her because she was like 13 14 years old <laughs> so yeah it's not just like a, a a them problem it's a Western problem as well yeah I think in Australia you can get married at 17 with parental consent yeah I'm pretty sure it is and then 18 without. Yeah. Could be in some states 16 with parental consent. Which still is just... It should just be 18, blanket. Yep, Because you can make good decisions when you're 16? You're not even... Your brain's not even developed until you're like in your mid-20s. Anyways, So... <clears throat> According to an organization called Their World, girls are four times more likely to be out of school than boys from the same background. The poorest girls also have the least likelihood of completing primary school, and there are often legal, religious, and traditional practices that discriminate against girls having a chance to get an education. In in South and West Asia, 80% of out-of-school girls, so out-of-school girls are unlikely to ever start school compared to just 16% of boys. So, um, and in many countries, including Afghanistan, Pakistan, which we'll talk about later, and Nigeria, they've seen um, attacks on girls' educations and threats to shut down schools, um, including, I think, not long, I don't know what country it was in Africa, but it those girls who got kidnapped from there. Yes. Sorry, that was all in protest against the fact that they were at school. So, on top of this, according to the UN's Girls Not Brides campaign, one girl under... Um, One girl under age 15 is married every seven seconds. Girls are three times more likely to be out of school. Girls are two times more likely to die from malnutrition. Girls are two times more likely to be subjected to sexual violence. And girls are two times more likely to get coerced into trafficking. So that's all from um, the UN and their world. Yeah. So it's looking pretty bleak at the moment, but don't worry. It gets kind of better. So globally, 67 million girls are not in school. There are 31 million girls of primary school age not in school. And 17 million of these girls will probably never attend school in their lifetime. Um, mm. And of the 20, sorry, 120 million young people between the ages of 15 and 24 who cannot read or write, 61% of them are women. And there are 33 million fewer girls in, than boys in primary school. And in 2012, there were 3,600 documented attacks on education, including violence, torture and intimidation against children and teachers, resulting in the death or serious injuries, the shelling or bombing of schools and the recruitment of school-aged children by armed forces. But I've got good news. Oh, yes. (laughs) So this is what happens when girls get educated. Mm -hmm. Girls with eight years of education are four times less likely to marry as children. A girl with an extra year of education can earn 20% more as an adult and women and girls also put 90% of their income back into their family and communities. Huh. So it, when we educate girls and we educate women, mm-hmm. we're actually educating a family and supporting an economy. And we know like from an like, economic standpoint that an educated society is a productive yes. society. And even though that is, that is capitalism in the way that it works that is one of the benefits of it is that the more educated a society is, the more productive their economy is and the more like they earn. Mm -hmm. And um, so, yeah, when you educate a girl, you educate a family. And educated mothers are twice as likely to send their children to school Mm -hmm. because they see the value of it. Um, Also, the less – the more educated you are, the less children you have on on average. So you see – a lot of highly educated people would have, like, one or two children. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's – I don't know – I haven't looked up the, like, correlation between those two things, but it is a pretty direct one in the sense that the more educated you are, the less children you have. So
1: would you say, for instance – and this is going to be stereotyping in a very bad way, but it's the only thing that springs to mind. So if you come from a derelict area Mm – a lot of them, obviously, you know, product of your environment, they're on welfare, mm-hmm. they're not, you know, really getting jobs and they're just getting knocked up,
0: yes. essentially. So uh, proper sex education <clears throat> also comes into it. Um, and, yeah, it's the idea as well, like, if you can't see something, you can't be something. Mm-hmm. So if your grandma was a teen mum, your mum was a teen mum, you are more likely to be a teen mum. Yeah. Um, you know, if you are one of seven to 20 children you're more likely to have multiple children because Mm -hmm. you start to see that obviously there are exceptions to the rule but the thing about the poverty cycle is that something needs to it's like a wheel that keeps turning and still until someone shoves a stick in the spokes yeah so that stick comes in the form of education higher education Mm -hmm. um or an action that gets them out of the cycle yeah um the problem is getting the resources to take that action right so like at the university that i go to there's um a program where they go to i guess disadvantaged primary schools Mm -hmm. and they just do projects with them or volunteer in a certain way for a few weeks and it's not it's not a direct recruiting for university but it is a um a way to show them and see someone in their community Besides their teachers, because obviously their teachers went to university, but to see other people in their community who are educated yep. or are getting an education mm-hmm. and like they can kind of see someone in there. Uh, my mum was the first person in her family to go to university. Oh, wow. Yeah. So my both my mum and my grandma are nurses, but mm-hmm. back in the day you did nursing as like a trade yep. in the hospitals. Mm-hmm. Um so then they changed it, obviously, to go to university. My mum's the first person in my family um, to get – and that's both on my dad's side as well as my mum's side. She's mm-hmm. the only person who has a university degree. Good on her. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and obviously she has two children. Um, we were not planned, but we were wanted. <laughs> that's what she always says. Um, so a child on top of, like – when we talk about motherhood, a child who is born to a mother who can read and write is 50% more likely to survive past the age of five. Wow. Yeah. So having a literate mother is infinitely, like, it's just, there's so much benefit to educating women, even if that's not to the state of that they're going to be scientists or something, but just giving someone. Just basic reading and writing skills. Reading, writing, you know, and also the community that comes with, education Mm -hmm. the like i was talking to um, my partner the other day about when you go to university you're more likely to become more left-wing in your views Mm -hmm. because not because of the way that the university is planned out Mm -hmm. but the thing is you are exposed to so many different people yeah and you get to know so many different views and types of people Mm -hmm. and also, when stuff is based purely on science and what they can, like, prove. Yeah. So, even people who you might think, like, scientists, you're like, oh, they have views on this and that. But they're, like, they're evidence-based opinions. Right. Yep. So, when, like, I was in a developmental psychology class um, yesterday mm-hmm. and they were talking about how girls' and boys' brains are no different uh, except for the way that they are, um like the brain is plastic, so it depends on their experiences as yep. to why girls and boys lean a certain way. Mm-hmm. There's nothing to do with the way that their brain is actually made up. Whereas oh, people wow. people would say, oh, that's a, you know, although no, girls and boys are different. Yes. They are not until physically until puberty. Mm-hmm. They have the same muscle mass and they have the same brain structure. This is neurotypical kids, obviously not kids with like Down syndrome or autism or other intellectual um, differences. Yeah. But, you know, the neurotypical kids are very um, similar. It just – the brain changes. so That
1: surprises me though because I've always been told – so, for instance, when a girl gets to the age of 13, that's where the puberty mm-hmm. kicks in and, you know, they become a bit more hostile in their approach to certain things, withdrawn, etc. And you see so many kids – Boys who are from let's say the ages of four to about 11, and that's when their kind of brain changes mm. in you know entering into the tem- temper tantrums, um, becoming argumentative. Um, so it's kind of the girls that seem as more placid mm. as they grow up. Um, that's just what I was always told, yeah, um, from doctors and. You know, um, people who were talking about Phoenix. I mean, he's he's pretty good. Mm-hmm. I mean, temper tantrums come, but um, yeah. And I then when guys hit school, you see them sort of become a mi- a bit more mellow mm-hmm. and chilled. So yeah,
0: it's um like so when I first did psychology like three years ago, they had a different opinion. Well, not right. a di- wasn't a different opinion. It was a the theory was starting to get kind of formed. Mm -hmm. So they they were like, oh, we see that girls brains mature quicker than boys brains. um, But we don't know why that is. Whereas in the last couple of years, the science has come through now that they're not actually maturing faster because they're boys or girls. Genetics will play a part in your brain maturity. Yes. But also your socializations. So girls are expected at an earlier age to do chores girls right. are expected to be more you know mature <laughs> not to my be kid. smarter <laughs> you know he didn't
1: get out of that one
0: <laughs> yeah
1: sus phoenix
0: and and boys are like more likely to be told to calm down when they're crying whereas girls are more likely to be comforted like there's and that's not because of people intentionally pushing those things onto kids yes but like uh, there's a video in this documentary that we'll talk about in a bit where they dressed up a boy baby in girls clothes and they dressed mm-hmm. up a girl baby in boys clothes they gave them different names and they put them with strangers in a room with toys right and the strangers would pick up toys that they thought that that kid would want to play with so the boy who was dressed up like a girl he was reaching for this robot and the volunteer was trying to get her him to play with the doll Mm -hmm. and was like, no, no, come on, Sophia, play with this, like, the soft toy. And then afterwards the um, researchers were like, what toy do you think that she liked to play with most? Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh, I think she really liked the soft toys. And then they're like, what if I told you that Sophia is actually Edward? And they were like, oh. And then they started to realise what they had, like, done. Because they were like, I just gave – I just gave her these toys and also the volunteers were more likely to be touchy, with, not touchy, but to physically handle the boys, mm-hmm. like pick them up, put them onto these toy cars or like, you know, move them around, yeah. whereas they wouldn't touch the girls as much. Right. Even though genetically they were both the opposite. You can't tell from babies, obviously, but it just shows that like the bias is so deeply ingrained in us. It's, even now. Even now from, you know,
1: I reckon it started at kindy, so what, we're halfway through the year with kindy and I can see the change in Phoenix so much. For instance, we went shopping and we just happened to be walking through the girls' section and I said to him, okay, cool, so let's go and we'll look at some clothing for you and he's like, "Uh, we're in the wrong section, we're in the girls, look, there's pretty pink colours and I'm like, oh, mate, you know, you, you could wear whatever you wanted to. It, it doesn't have to be girls. And, you know, girls can wear boys' clothing. And he was looking so puzzled about that. And just, you know, oh, that's a girl's toy. No, I, yeah. w- I wouldn't want that. So it's instinctually ingrained in them from such a young age. And, yeah, it wouldn't bother me if he wanted to play with Barbies. I wouldn't give a stuff from that. Yeah. Um, but, yeah.
0: I'll just, like... Because I've got notes about this. So I'm just going to skip to those notes. Mm-hmm. Because um, age 10 is when gender roles and stereotypes are, like, deeply ingrained in children. Right. So, like, by the time they hit 10... Yep. ...they've already got a view of what where girls and boys are. Um, so, to the point where girls... So, girls are given dolls yep. to play with. And those girls create stories and narratives with those dolls mm-hmm. and they have characterization and they you know they create this whole society within the dolls mm-hmm. boys are given say lego or creative toys play minecraft that sort of thing yes so they develop spatial awareness and how you turn a shape and it turns into another shape and how you place things into certain areas so the skills that the girls learn are very english based so mm-hmm. when we go to school the girls are better at English. Right. And then the boys seem to be better at maths and science. But the thing is, neither one of them are actually better. They're actually just been socialised and exercised to be better at those things. Right, yeah. So if we were to give boys dolls and Lego, they would develop both of those skills and vice versa Mm -hmm. because the brain is plastic. Yeah. And you can do that whenever. Um, And also boys have less words to describe emotions than girls do with the one exception being angry they have more words to describe angry than girls do Hmm. so that's yeah (laughs) that's one of the um they're not actually their brains aren't actually different until yeah well actually even then it's all about your socialization Mm -hmm. your bodies become different your hormones are different obviously but the brain itself is just plastic and it's changeable and how you are raised the toys you play with, the people you interact with, the situations that you have is what actually shapes your brain. Yeah. And so when we see these um, also women now outnumber men at university, which I found out yesterday. Wow. Is that worldwide? Um, I think that's from like the American Mm -hmm. – you know, a Western sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I know in my classes that I take, girls vastly outnumber boys. Um, I take English and psychology classes. So I think that also could have something to do with it um, because like engineering and mathematics have now, actually mathematics have a lot more girls, but engineering has mostly boys. Um, right. But yeah, it's 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 very, um, it's, it's so weird to think like, oh, we we think a certain way, but actually it's, opposite um so back to the good news um so i was saying about girls educated girls have fewer children mm-hmm. they're less likely to become pregnant as a teenager um and in many countries in the sub-saharan africa in sub-saharan africa the birth rate among girls with secondary education is four times lower compared to those with no education wow so like obviously teenage girls are still gonna get pregnant yes but the rate of that is like different depending on how educated they are. Mm -hmm. Um, So according to One Girl, which is an Australian organisation that works in Uganda and Sierra Leone Mm -hmm. in Africa, um, the main things that stop girls from going to school, poverty, like we spoke about before, child marriage and forced or early pregnancy. Right. So like in like Australia... A teen who gets pregnant is likely to drop out, but in the countries where child marriage and that sort of thing is common, they use pregnancy as a way to keep them out.
1: Right. Yeah. So yes. it's kind
0: of like, say you had a daughter, she got pregnant in her teen years and she dropped out. You'd be like, why would you do that? Whereas over there, it's like, now you're pregnant and you have to stay home. It's, yeah, it's. You have to fulfill your wifely duties. Yes, it's called coerced birth. And that's something that people don't really talk about. It's a form of um, abuse. So, like, especially if you're in a domestic violence situation, forced pregnancy, coerced birth is why access to abortion is important because it's a way to get out of um, domestic violence situations. Mm -hmm. So, these are the facts that I got from one girl. More than 70% of people in Sierra Leone earn less than $2 a day. Often it's difficult to get enough money together to cover food and rent, let alone something as extravagant as school. So if family can afford to send a child to school, they'll pick their son over their daughter. Wow. In Sierra Leone, nearly 40% of girls are married before they turn 18. Um, And it's a common myth that once a girl gets her period, she's ready to be a wife and mother. So, once she bleeds, she's ready to breed is one of the sayings that I found. Um, And then the forced and early pregnancy. So, teenage pregnancy is one of the most common reasons for girls dropping out of school. Um, When girls are married young they have or have unprotected casual sex or are sexually assaulted, they often end up caring for a child instead of continuing their education. This also touches on the need for proper sex education, access to birth control and abortions and support. Support services for young expectant mothers. A lot of schools in America, you can take your baby to school. And they, like, you can take them into classes or they have...
1: Yeah, I remember seeing some, like, I've seen it in movies yeah. and that type of stuff. But I just just wasn't aware how true, how realistic it was. There's yeah. some
0: schools that have special units for um, teen mothers. Mm-hmm. So they have, like, a daycare on the school campus. That's amazing. And the schools are small like the classes are smaller mm-hmm. and the mums can go and visit their kids and breastfeed and go and see them like during classes. That's or, very cool. Day. So yeah, that way at least you don't they don't miss out on the school yeah. aspect. Um so we talked last week about Malala. She popped up again in my Well, we mm-hmm. didn't we spoke we actually talked about this and now we're recording it. Um But Malala is my age and she was one of the girls who was attacked by the Taliban. She was shot in the head. Um, And she kind of became like this massive representative of the need for girls' education. Um, She survived, by the way. Yeah, she survived. Um, Yeah, she got shot in the head ten days later, woke up in Birmingham... And she was like, oh, I'm not in my country. And realised that the entire world had heard about what happened to her. Pakistan, that's She's,
1: where yeah. she was from? So yeah. she was
0: in Pakistan. Her dad was a teacher um, and they were also doing stuff for the BBC, writing um, journal articles mm-hmm. about, like, articles about, you know, the Taliban coming in and taking over and getting rid of their school and they had to leave where they were living because they ran a school and yeah. she was going to school in this new area and then she got shot in the head. Um this guy boarded on her bus, said, who is Malala? She stood up and said, I am Malala. And then he put a gun and went, boom, left out of her head. And then she woke up 10 days later. Um, it's just, she's just this incredible woman. And the other week she was in Quebec and the minister for education said that she could teach in um, Quebec if she took her headscarf off. Ha! <laughs> Imagine having the balls to say that to Malala. <laughs>
1: how embarrassing
0: i know so that's what i got about the education but the other side of it is what we're talking about for about gender neutral schools Mm -hmm. so in sweden and finland i want to say finland only has a population of 5.5 million people oh um but their education system is literally top of the world
1: They're, uh, as far as I know, correct me if I'm wrong, but teachers are so highly regarded over there. So instead of, you know, sort of not being paid as much as, for instance, a doctor, Mm -hmm. they're paid higher than doctors and because they're seen as raising the future of Mm -hmm. their country. And um, they have, honestly, Finland are amazing. If you give birth over there, doesn't matter if it's private, public, I don't know if they have those kinds Mm. of systems over there but a woman is given it's a birthing kind of cot and it's a wooden box that sits next to her bed and it's given I think for the first like three months of the baby's life it's given them this cot to take home Um, and then it's got like clothing diapers formula they get given it from the government from every birth.
0: It's insane. Like, they, they and Iceland as well do really well with that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, they had a really bad teenage drinking problem. Like oh. I think it was like 10 years ago or something. They mm-hmm. had the highest rate of teenage drug and alcohol abuse in the world. And so most, what would most governments do in that situation? What do you think? Oh, I'd say that they try to outlaw Grog or something
1: stupid and controversial.
0: They decided to put more money into extracurricular activities. ...and make them free for teenagers. Wow. So they did more sport, more clubs, more um, activities... ...more mm-hmm. scouting, camping, that sort of stuff... ...that yeah. made it really accessible for all teen, like children and teenagers. So they were getting kids more involved in their community... ...and actually mm-hmm. doing something. And now they have the lowest rate of teenage drinking... ...and alcohol abuse in the world. Wow. And they actually come... The people from Iceland are actually come over to Australia and are now trying to implement um, that system in states here because of our drinking. I think it's
1: brilliant. Yeah, it's... it's Just giving them more option and more opportunity.
0: Yeah, and it keeps um, people out of the criminal justice system as well. Yeah. Because there's no need for, like, a kid who gets on the grog to go to jail or to juvie no. and stuff, and that's taxpayers' money that could be going to something like those programs to yeah. prevent in the first place. But yeah, so Finland, you have to have a master's degree to be a teacher. Mm -hmm. In Australia, you don't have to have a master's degree to be a teacher. However, it's leaning more that way because there's so many teachers graduating. So if you have Mm. a master's degree, you're going to get a job over someone who has a bachelor's degree, but they're wanting to start pushing the degrees from a bachelor of education and a bachelor of arts to a bachelor of arts and a master's of education. Right. Um, in Finland as well, if you miss out on getting into teaching, you can still get into medicine or law. Whereas here, oh, yeah. it's actually really easy to get into teaching. Mm-hmm. You still have to do this test at the end um, that people don't really know about. But you have to do this land type test, which is literacy and numeracy teacher uh, teaching. I don't know. It's literacy and numeracy test. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to pass that to get your teacher's license registration right yeah so people think that because it's easy to get into teaching at university that's easier to become a teacher mm-hmm. you still have to pass that test whether you aced your bachelor degree or not yeah um and also they're paid really highly like you said and they're considered like really high up in the community right just, There's just there's this more respect for education yeah and um, there's this school do you know the author john marsden yes yes so he is a principal of two schools Really? Yes, on a one thousand one hundred and ten acre plot of land, right? Wow! I'm about to I'm about to blow your fucking mind. This school is in, this school is insane. Where is it? In Victoria, right? So, school number one is called Candlebark, right? It is a primary school. There are like two hundred kids there. It's on how many acres of land? I think it's like so. This big block he owns the whole thing, but the High school, there called Alice Miller, is on 80 acres, Mm -hmm. and then the primary school is on a larger part of that land. Okay. Um, Essentially, they have all their teachers have master's degrees and are experts in their field. The school does not have staff rooms. They provide um, food, like every meal, Mm -hmm. lunch, and stuff to the children for no extra cost. The teachers and children eat together at lunch. Um, the classes are really small. They have a lot of outdoor education. So they go hiking or camping and stuff like that on the property. Oh, wow. So they do like bike camp where they have like a bike track and they will go mountain bike riding with the whole class and the teachers That's on amazing. the property. It's insane. There's a really long waiting list to get there Yeah, as well. Um, it's I don't know if it's super expensive. But Is it, it a boarding school? No, it's a day school. Oh. So... John Marsden is—he's not a parent; he's a step parent. He also just wrote a book called *The Art of Growing Up*, um, mm-hmm. which is a parenting book. But essentially, he wanted to take the whole system with Candlebark and Alice Miller, take the whole education system and kind of turn it on its head. Mm-hmm. So it's like the high school Alice Miller, same thing as the primary school in regards to like their camps, their education, that sort of thing. There's like coffee shops there. They it's, it's just weird. Yeah. It's they run the high school like it's a university
1: Oh wow!
0: because they're like, you're going to go to uni anyway. It's completely different when you get to uni. So we're going to treat you like you're in uni. So they teachers, you can meet up with them and, you know, discuss your results. You don't have to call them by last name if you don't want to, or they don't want you to like, there's no like set rules of that. They don't wear uniforms at either school. Um, They're very small, but the whole system is like – it's not like a Steiner school. Mm -hmm. It's just more like outdoor bush stuff. Nature-based. Yeah, nature-based. And then you've got your maths and your science and all that sort of Mm -hmm. stuff. But every single person who works there is the top of their field or they are an expert in what they're doing. And so the love and the want – and they also value each topic at the same level. That sounds like a dream. It is like – It is amazing what I'm looking at because I only found out about it last week. And I was like, holy shit, this is like – because Australia just don't do that. Well, uh, yesterday I had to go
1: to one of three schools to go for a – what do you call it? Like just a visit to Mm -hmm. see if I want to put Phoenix into this school for next year. And uh, it is – that one there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> B and I live around the corner from each other, and, and I ain't telling you guys where he's potentially going. Sorry. Yes,
0: I know that one over there. Mm-hmm. That one over there, primary school? Yes. yes. <laughs> Can you imagine that is <laughs> <as it laughs> the name of your school. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where oh, do you go to school? Oh, that one over there. Huh? Ah. Huh? Eh? Yeah. um. And
1: they've uh, knuckled it down to 22 students per class.
0: That's
1: good. And because it was a once upon a time a shopping centre. Yes. So they have a lot more flexibility. So when you walk in, imagine a food court mm-hmm. and then all the shops that were surrounding the food court, so they're now made into the classrooms. The food court is this giant general hangout area Um where they performed different, like, artistic ventures. Uh, And um, they said that instead of having the children, because when I went to primary school, it was if you were reception to let's say year three, you were down the bottom Mm because it was a two-storey school. You were down the bottom and then from four to seven was up the top. So you were all very separate. Yeah. Here... They have, let's say, three reception classes and they're amalgamated all differently all over the school. So you'll be next door to year seven class. So they're not trying to separate. Mm -hmm. They're trying to and they're making, they're seeing a difference in if the children have an issue, they're likely to go to an older student. They're not just sort of afraid of them thinking, oh, no, they're older, I can't talk to that person. And then... Vice versa, if the year sevens see a year one getting bullied, they're more likely to step in because they they share a building together. Yeah. So yeah, they're fa- they're finding a huge difference. And I learned yesterday and it got me a bit sad because oh, you know, it, mm-hmm. it just wasn't the way that things were done for you and I. Um, that high school was going to start Year seven. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was blown away.
0: See, in Queensland, they already do that.
1: How are they finding it? Do you know?
0: Well, it's because it's that age. So the whole idea was that they've done it literally forever. And right. same thing, in, I think it's New South Wales as well. Like mm-hmm. it literally it's always been year seven, it's been in high school. But what they like found was that that little age in between, like at year seven, is like the crucial shifting. So in putting them in high school, they mature them slightly quicker. Because it's very crucial in that very, like, because you see those kids, because some of those kids are not ready for high school when they get there. Yeah. And then when they get there at high school, the teachers are like... Shell shop. Yeah. So the idea is, like, to to move it into high school, they Mm. give them a bit more of a, like, a buffer.
1: Because I don't know. I mean, obviously it would differ from um, ages. So, for instance, reception to... Going into high school. Because um, I was always told, I remember watching 60 Minutes a few years back, that you know how um, if people, parents have a choice where to either put their children into reception from a certain age, mm-hmm. or if they've just missed the cusp of going in, they can either do a midterm mm-hmm. intake. Or they can wait and they found um, the results of the parents who waited for the children to go in. They were more likely to succeed um, in their schooling. Uh, They were able to concentrate at a higher rate as to those who were put in earlier. Um, There was a huge benefit to it. So I wonder, you know, if it's kind of the same thing with high school. Yeah, I think
0: for sure because like those kids that like I've worked with, And it's actually – I will sidetrack and then return to my point. So, Mm -hmm. there's this guy called Sir Ken Robinson. Um, He is this – he's an education expert um, and he pretty much talks about how the industrial model of schools Mm – so, school works like a factory – So the most important thing in putting them into the year is their date of manufacture, which is the date of like their birthday. So when we put the kids into school Mm -hmm. in an age, that does not limit, like that is not, sorry, that doesn't show all the different levels of maturity that each kid is in. So the issue is that we're pushing kids through at certain ages, expecting them to be at certain levels, but kids vastly differ between one at the bottom and one at the top. So like the idea is that, and they do this at Candleback and at Alice Miller, mm-hmm. you have your year, but you should also have an academic year. So you are shown, not tested as in standard I tested, but you know, if you are above your class in maths, you shouldn't just be moved into the bigger maths class. Yeah, There should be a maths class for that academic age. So kids in year 12, kids in year 8, kids in year 7, blah, 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 who were all at the same academic age Mm -hmm. are in a class together.
1: That is not a bad idea.
0: So – and my mum's high school did – their homerooms were every year. Mm -hmm. So they they picked kids from certain years. And so when she was in year 8, she had year 12 in her homeroom. Oh, wow. So they had people to talk to who were older, like you said before about that that thing. Um, So that whole – idea of like, yes, obviously we need to have a, an age group, you know, because we don't want to push kids in too high. But the other thing is they learn how to communicate with mm-hmm. people who are of different ages. Yeah. Um, and that thing about keeping kids back is called redshirting, which I found the other day. Hmm. I don't know why. I didn't read in too much. Weird. But, yeah, they – so with Sir Ken Robinson talking about that, it's the whole thing about the age um, and – pushing them in at the right time and a lot of like scandinavian countries don't start kids until they're seven right so they do like um preschool kindy stuff which is play-based learning mm-hmm. until they're seven and then they go into school right which here we're already putting them in nap at, at seven yeah so like that's the difference between a lot of these schools as well mm-hmm. But I think that the year seven thing is a good idea. Yeah, definitely. And it also gives a lot more jobs for teachers. Yes, that is for sure. There's a massive blast at the moment. (laughs) So we have two years until the whole state has to have year seven in their high schools. Oh, okay. So, but a lot of schools are already doing it next year. Mm -hmm. So they're already hiring all their new teachers. So like at the moment there's this massive influx of jobs for high school teachers Mm -hmm. Um, because a lot of high school teachers end up teaching at primary school. Right. So it's, and a lot of primary school teachers end up teaching at OSH. Yep. Which is not teaching. No. You know, it, that's what you do when you're studying to be a yeah. teacher. Um, so now we're able to get high school teachers into a high school because there's going to be an extra year that they can teach. Yeah. And it doesn't actually take as as much from the primary school because those classes are usually six, seven classes anyway. Yep. But yeah, so... That's, um, that's pretty much all I've got about the gender-neutral schools as well. Um, there's that documentary on YouTube that I have mm-hmm. sent to Courtney, but yeah. I can't rem- remember. It was just pretty much gender-neutral schools and then it's yes. like, are girls and boys different? Can boys and girls be treated the same yeah. sort of thing?
1: And then kind of doing experiments and seeing how it goes. And
0: Yeah, it's very basic. Like it's not yeah. like when you say gender-neutral, it's very loaded. Yes. People think that you're, like, taking away their gender identity. But really what they did was they got the teacher to stop calling the girls love and the boys mate and, you know, put up things like girls are strong, boys are strong, girls are sensitive, boys are sensitive Mm -hmm. on the walls. You know, challenge them to look at people in their community who are not doing jobs that are traditionally for that gender and kind of, you know putting them out of their comfort zone yeah, and experiencing things and getting them to, like I said about uni, meet other people mm-hmm. and expand your whole mind. Because yeah. at the start of that experiment, they were like, you know, boys are stronger and can earn more money because the girls have to take care of the babies, <laughs> you know. And they're like seven years old. <laughs> so that is – um, that's pretty much it. I think we're yeah. – done now we go pick up phoenix from kindy yes
1: and woohoo Oh, he'll <laughs> love it and also um for uh in a fortnight i would like to discuss uh media so women in the media how we are portrayed um what's wrong with it what's right with it and how much more needs to be done to yeah alleviate our perception of what's being mm-hmm. given to, Well displayed to us um in the media about women you should watch
0: a documentary called misrepresentation 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 okay so it's a play on words i watched it when i was in year eight Mm -hmm. and it was like one of the big catalysts to the person that i am now so okay it's, it's about representation of women in media so yeah that's our episode so now we are fortnightly yes um so we'll see you in Two weeks' time. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Hopefully I would have read more of my books by then.
1: <laughs> 17 books. I don't envy you, I have to say. I'm sorry. They're all
0: like Jane Eyre and like... Oh, my God. Even though that is like a... That technically is a feminist book. Yeah. But it's very long. It's very small text. Yeah. Because I was like, oh, it's fine. And then I got it. I was like, oh, shit! <laughs> So anyway, thank you for listening. Yes, follow, follow us on Instagram at Pickles and Peaches Pod. Um, email us at picklesandpeachespod at gmail.com. Yeah, um, please,
1: because um, got a few ideas brewing, um, for the podcast, and until I'm able to sort of get that in motion, um, yeah, no big announcements, but um, yeah, just got
0: a few ideas. We got a few things up our sleeves, you'll oh, see. You'll, you'll see. see once we get our time. I'm very energy. organized, ladies. It was extremely organized, can't you tell by the way, we've Recorded for the first time in a month. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) All right. See you guys. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Bye.